right, everybody. Welcome to the Woods, Water, and Mizzou podcast, episode number three. I'm one of your co-hosts, Skeeter, and tonight I have Case and Cole with me. How y'all doing? Good, good. How are y'all? We're doing good. good. Cool, cool, well, guys, cool. uh, we're going to get into Georgia here in a minute, but let's start off giving a shout out to the basketball program, men and women, and uh, our athletic director for putting on Mizzou Madness on the quad. That just looked really awesome on the videos I got to see. Uh, great backdrop setting and, and just built a lot of excitement in the program. I don't know about y'all, but I'm not ready for football season to end, but I'm kind of ready for basketball season to start too. No, I think that was a really cool event. Uh, obviously, I wasn't there, but man, you're right. The pictures on social media and the videos it looked like a really good event. And I think that was something we were always kind of lacking, right? Most schools do that midnight madness. And I think what we did was a kind of a cool alter- alternative to that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd say that, um, you know, kind of give kudos to them to not fall into the the cliche of, you know, okay, well, you know, all of other, you know, either conference opponents or rivals are going to do it on this day. Let's do something where, you know, we kind of have the spotlight ourselves and then to do it in a unique way in an outdoor setting, you know, luckily mother nature um, kind of blessed off on the event. It was a beautiful evening. Um, and yeah, everything that I saw, I mean, the, the quad and the columns and, you know, Bessie are so iconic and, and synonymous with Mizzou that, um, you know, it, it made sense to do it there, and I'm, I'm really glad they did. Yeah, same here. Well, uh, getting into what we're really – I don't know if we're excited, uh, dreading talking this, but last Saturday night, number one Georgia Bulldogs come to town. Uh, they pull out a victory, 26-22. Mizzou led the ball game for most of it. Uh, our Tigers fall 2-3 on the year, 0-2 in the SEC. Uh, Cole, I'm going to start with you. You were one of 58,165 at Perot. Can you just kind of give us your general thoughts of the, the stadium, the crowd, the atmosphere, and, and the game in general? Yep, absolutely. Um, well, I, I'll start out with just saying, you know, everyone that, that showed up for that game, and again, I, I said this during the Louisiana Tech game, um, the students student section was phenomenal. Um I think they were even, based on some of the pictures I saw, they were even kind of spilling over. You know, they go all the way up until that uh, that 300 section, and they were even starting to spill over onto the hill. Um, from what I could see, at least, it looked like there were a bunch of really densely packed areas on that northeast corner. Um, atmosphere was insane. It was a beautiful evening. I think it was maybe high 60s, low 70s at kickoff. Um, and, you know, it got that nice fall, crisp football feeling. Um you know, towards, towards the latter part of the game. Um, the, you know, I, I just can't say enough about how, um, how electric I know that um, back in the Barry Odom era, they tried to incorporate the tiger tail. I don't know if you guys remember that um, yes. where they were handing out tiger tails to everybody, yep. which was a great, you know, um, I don't know if it's kind of a play off of the terrible towel for Pittsburgh or, you know, Mississippi state's cowbell or, you know, something that, gets everybody involved in kind of a visual cue of, you know, how many people are there just aside from, you know, seeing them in the stands. But I'm a huge fan. I know, I think Alabama does it too with, uh, with either the red or red and white palms, but um, I definitely like how they've been handing out the, the gold or yellow, whichever you want to call it. It's a separate discussion for a separate day. Um, But I do like how they've been, um, you know, kind of handing those out and, you know, encouraging people, you know, to, obviously use them because it it creates a good atmosphere um 
it was it was really prominent during the uh, the Mr. Brightside uh, singing during you know one of the breaks. I know you guys typically don't see it on TV, um, but during one of the commercial breaks, and then also during the uh, the Timmy trumpets on third down, people kind of are you know waving those back and forth to go with the uh, to go with the you know the beat of the music. So it creates a good environment. It was very very loud. Uh, my four-year-old daughter was with us for that and she kept plugging her ears and saying, daddy, it's too loud. Um, so, you know, if it, I guess kind of passes the four-year-old hearing test then uh, you know, it was pretty good and went back and watched some highlights on YouTube this morning. Um, and you could tell, man, it was, it was loud. Um, great atmosphere. How, but how, how was the energy leaving the stadium? Did it, did it seem like there was excitement that we gave number one Georgia all the hell they wanted in the ball oh, game, or was it yeah. a big disappointment? hundred percent. I mean, you kind of see that, um, you know, you see the crowd exit at halftime to go, you know, take a leak or, you know, grab another beer or whatever it is. Um, and then there's kind of that trickle effect starting the third quarter where you're like, man, is this going to pick back up to what it was in the first half? Or, you know, is it just going to kind of peter out throughout the game? And, you know, a couple minutes into the third quarter, it's just as packed and just as loud. You know, lights were on. It was dark. Um, but, yeah, that uh, that energy definitely carried throughout throughout the entire game. Um, even up until that – the time when they took – you know, I'm probably getting ahead of our recap here, but when they took the lead at the four-minute mark, you know, spoiler alert, Mizzou led up until the four-minute mark of the fourth quarter. Um, and – the people, you know, students and fans were all still loud. And, um, you know, from what I saw that they, they stayed up until, uh, up until Georgia got that last possession where they started the victory formation. That, that's awesome. And, uh, shout out to you and everybody else that was there. Uh, one thing I noticed on, on Twitter, uh, there were a lot of Georgia people that were annoyed with the trumpet and the sound that it brought through. <laughs> and I'm all for it. If if we're making noise that uh, somebody notices on the couch at home and it's getting on their nerves, that's a good thing in my opinion. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what that's what you want in a home field advantage is something that's disruptive to, to your opponent, to your opponent's fan base. Um, we actually – so I'm a season ticket holder in the south end zone, um, and right next to us were two folks from Georgia – um, Cartersville, Georgia, I believe, which is just northwest of kind of the Athens, Atlanta area. Um, it was our first time ever to Columbia, and jokingly, they, uh, you know, we got to talking to them throughout the game. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, it was our first time in Columbia. You know, we're making it our goal to go to every single SEC stadium. And, uh, you know, depending on who you ask, some people thought it was going to be a bloodbath, and others were like, no, man, you know, number one's coming to town. And uh, they were – they were one of those that thought it was just going to be a bloodbath. They'd go, you know, be able to come in, see an easy win. And uh, I'll say this, the guy and his wife that were there um, at the beginning of the second half, he said, man, depending on this third quarter, we may be, uh, we may be getting in the car and heading back to St. Louis early you know, <laughs> to catch our flight. So yeah, they, uh, they were I, I, yeah, exactly. I think we had them on their toes for sure. That's awesome. You love to hear that. Well, Case, you were kind of in the same boat as me. We are. We got screwed uh, by Dish. Yeah. Uh, we were kind of left scrambling with ways to watch or listen to the game. Yeah. I had played in a golf tournament for my buddy 
So at the end of the tournament, there was a raffle, and the TV was in the back. And I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to be professional and watch, you know, the raffle. And they're talking about the charity you raise money for. But I'm just staring at this little bitty, like 30 inch TV, you know, 50 yards away, trying to make out the Mizzou game. <laughs> like I, I got that much out of it. And then I come home and I got home, started the second half, and I think I used the varsity app like you did and just ESPN Statcast, just trying to catch up yeah. and listen however I could. Well, I, I ended up going to the Deer Woods Saturday evening, uh, scouting out for new places on public land, and started listening to the varsity app, had the volume down, you know, real faint. So if anything started walking, I could hear the leaves because it's still pretty dry down here. And, uh, boy, we, we got that fumble on Georgia's second possession. And I was like, I got to get out of the stand, got to get back in my truck because (laughs) I almost tear off anything. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, sure. Uh, I got to my truck and my wife, I texted some stuff. She needed me to pick up from Walmart on my way home. I texted her back, said, I'm sitting in the parking lot until halftime listening to the ball game. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we've talked uh, weeks past and really in the drink era, getting off to a fast start. Uh, offensively, we did not. But defensively, you can't ask for more than what, what those boys come out and done. And I don't know if you all saw the video of uh, Carter for Georgia yeah. walking through our big boys stretching in the end zone. And yeah. Isaiah McGuire and, and our guys, they weren't having none of that. Like, yeah, this is our house. Again and they, yeah, uh, so. they weren't. I think that lit a fire. So hopefully Florida does the same thing when we got on exactly. there weekend. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> kind of lights the fire. Do you see that uh, Kirby announced today he's not letting his guys go anywhere near? He's like has special blocked off where they can and can't go, so they can't do that again. So obviously we did something enough to think, make Kirby think that we, they fired up their opponent before the game and made a harder game for him. Exactly. You know what I mean? Uh, getting into the numbers, total yards, Georgia had 481. Missouri, 294. Uh, 312 of them were passing, 192 for Mizzou. Georgia ran the ball for 169 yards. We ran for 102. Third down, our defense held them to four for 13 on on defense, but our offense was only able to muster three for 13. Uh, Really four for 14 because one of those was a pass interference uh, that we got a first down out of, but they don't count that toward it. Uh, The big stat, uh, two turnovers, Georgia, zero for Missouri. So that that's a really good job of us protecting the ball. Uh, time of possession, Georgia held it for 34-48. Uh, we only had the ball at 25-12. So our defense, you just saw it as the game wore on that they were, you know, kind of wearing down uh, and – Georgia just had the bodies and, and the energy to keep keep pushing. Uh, well, I think what a big part of what you just said, though, is the, the time of possession. You think if yeah. we had to drive the field a little more, the defense would not have tired down so quickly? I mean, it cut you off there, but it just seemed like perfect that, you know, the time of possession seems to be a big reason why that defense got worn out so bad and gassed in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Reminded me a lot of the 2014 – SEC championship game versus Alabama, you know, it was eight point game going oh, yeah. in the fourth quarter. And just our offense wasn't able to sustain drives for very long periods, and our defense was out there. And you can only ask so much. I mean, 34 minutes, 48 seconds, you're out there for almost 35 minutes at the ball game. 
you're going to be tired. I don't care how many bodies you get to rotate in and out. You're going to get tired. That's a good point. I, I agree with that quite a bit. Yeah. And you could tell, you know, just in the, I, I think that um, the atmosphere played a massive part into how the defensive, uh, you know, defensive performance ended up playing out. Um, but I also think that you could tell as the game went on, you know, we started with, um, you know, either getting a, a ton of negative plays or, you know, they were, they were punting on, you know, uh, third and long, uh, you know, third and 10 plus. Um, but as the game wore on, you know, they were getting into, you know, third and four, third and five, and, you know, they'd break one or two, um, you know, 10, 15, 20 yard plays. Um, but then, you know, it was really the way I guess I would summarize it um, to somebody who hadn't seen the game was, you know, Mizzou's defense um, kind of embodied that bend but don't break mentality. Um, you know, they they drive all the way down to, you know, getting close to or just outside of the red zone. And, you know, boom, they're in a, a third and long situation. We stop them and they're kicking field goals. So um, that's kind well, of how I, I would – go ahead. I, I actually broke it broke it down by drives. Their first five possessions was went as punt, fumble, punt, punt, fumble. 17 plays, 66 yards, two turnovers. Uh, you can't ask for a better start from our defense oh, than that. Lord, no. Uh, their last seven possessions, field goal, field goal, field goal, touchdown, touchdown, and then the final drive to close out the game, run out the clock for 66 plays, 421 yards. So I feel that's very telling uh, that, you know, Georgia started to figure a little bit out, and also we were running out a little bit of gas on that side of the ball. Definitely, but, I mean, I think a lot of it was – not getting even drives on offense as well with that. Well, the the one thing on offense, uh, we've got to get better first and second down plays. Uh, I went through and, and broke down our, our third down plays. Uh, third and nine, we didn't convert punt. Third and 15, didn't convert punt. Uh, third and 13, uh, Harrison Meeves kicked a 41-yard field goal because we didn't convert first down. On a third and five, we converted for the touchdown. Uh, heck of a catch by Stevens, by the way. I did yeah. see that highlight. Uh, third That's and eighteen. Cool. I've, been, I've been waiting to see something out of Stevens, like like a play like that, because he's he's built so well for the for the SEC is playing tight end. But that was the first little you know pop I seen. I'm sorry, I just want to add that in there. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, third and eighteen, we don't convert. Forty nine yard field goal. Third and uh, goal from the four, we don't convert. 22-yard field goal. Third and three, we don't convert. We punt. Third and 14, we don't convert. 52-yard field goal. Third and 10, we don't convert. 56-yard field goal. Uh, third and seven, we get the personal foul, hands to the face. So 15-yard penalty. Now it's third and 22. Uh, don't convert. We punt. Uh, third and 10, we don't convert. Punt. The three, we did convert. Uh, we had a third and six and got a 36 yard, uh, pass to love it. Uh, the third and five, we got the touchdown. Uh, and then we had a third and six, uh, eight yard catch by love. I believe that was on the touchdown drive. Keep that drive going. And then the one that didn't count on the, on the stat sheet, we had a third and 17 and burden drew the pass interference. So, we're not going to have a successful offense. I mean, how many of those were 10 yards or, or right there at it or more? Uh, 
that's just asking too much. There's a, a play that got called back from holding, and it was a drive when we were trying to answer. We were down three at that point in the fourth quarter, and we had like third and five. Uh, Cook throws a good sidearm pass to Bannister, who just passed sticks first down, got called back for a holding. No, and... that, that was the hands to the face personal foul. That Sorry, was third and seven. Thank yeah. you. Hands to the face. Yeah. Um, man. That was a, that drive was a great example because the drive was going great. We were getting ahead of the sticks on every uh, every st- uh, down there, and then you get something like that that breaks your back. I we can't see penalties like that because I feel like that gets us terrible third downs. We've seen bad O line penalties all season, and they're drive killers for us. But I think that is another huge part. But it's in my opinion, it's these the bad screen passes on first down, and these backbreaker O line penalties on third down. Absolutely. Cole, you have anything to add on that? Well, I, I want to, um, you know, I want to give some praise because, you know, so much, I feel like so much of the season so far um, has been, oh, you know, and, and I don't, I don't want to go into it tonight, um, but so much of it's been, oh, you know, Cook's performance and, you know, oh, well, we're doing this wrong and, oh, you know, we're, we're you know, committing penalties and, and all those are, are justified. Um, but, you know, I'm looking at the stat sheet here. Um, and one thing that stood out to me initially was our rushing. And I look at Cook, and I see four carries for negative 11 yards. I'm thinking, okay, wait a second. That that just doesn't seem right. But then I go down to sacks, and Georgia only had two sacks. We're talking Georgia, the, the number one team in the country coming off of a national championship. And so much of this team's problems um, in, in our first, uh, what, four games – were offensive line play, with the exception of Auburn. I feel like they did pretty darn well against Auburn for the most part. Um, but even, you know, against Louisiana Tech and K-State and uh, Abilene Christian, we're thinking, man, this offensive line is just Swiss cheese. And to, uh, and, you know, maybe it was scheme. Maybe it's, you know, we're doing a lot more rollouts or, you know, whatever the case may be. But to hold Georgia's deep sacks, um, one of which was only a true, a true, snap, uh, true sack, the other one was uh, two half sacks credited. So just gives, I, I want to give some credit to the offensive line. Um, that is, uh, that's, that's pretty astonishing. And we, our defense also had two sacks. So um, that's, I don't know. I guess that's just one thing that kind of stands out to me. Um, and according to ESPN, uh, Georgia did not have any defensive quarterback hurries. So they did not have uh, any hurries against. Uh, cook in that game so i want to i want to give credit to them for sure but i've noticed since uh wood slid outside to tackle and uh his name just slipped my mind i walter waters walters um Mm -hmm. started playing guard uh that side of the lines played quite a bit better but you had the false start on the one after schrader's 63 yard run Mm -hmm. uh we weren't able to cash that in and then you had the illegal hands to the face, personal foul, 15-yard penalty on the third and seven that Bannister caught that ends up being the third and 22 because of the penalty. So just some really big self-inflicting yeah. wounds there. Cole's right. The O-line is playing much better. And really, yeah. I think K-State, you want to throw that game out because what a disaster that was for the entire team. I'm not saying like throw it out like we, we shouldn't be liable, like you know, held accountable for those things. 
but that was such a d- disaster from start to finish that so you can't learn anything from it. I think LA Tech, they weren't terrible. Uh, Abilene Christian was terrible. That was one of the worst O-line performances I've seen. But Auburn and Georgia were both very good. And I like that SEC. That means, you know, that's when you're, you should play the teams you need to play your best against. But the I mentioned this earlier. I'm just going to say it again. The backbreakers are the penalties. I, I agree. They're playing yeah. well. They're getting good holes. When Pete gets a hole, uh, he take it 15 yards, and he's done that regularly. Schrader ran really well against Georgia. And Schrader, no offense to him, is the kind of guy where he needs a hole. He can't make his own like Beatty did. He has got to have a hole. But once he does, he takes advantage of it. He reminds and, me of uh, – sorry to cut you off, but he no, reminds me ahead. of like Dawson Downing. Like you remember Dawson Downing would – That's a good like, get a You're hole. right. He would get a hole and dude yeah. would just be streaking down the middle of the field. Just the vanilla you know, the roll. Exactly. Gave him some room. Exactly. Uh, and you're right. Cody's a lot like Dawson. That's a, it's a good comp, man. Um, but he was running, and and, uh, and I know we, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but him not scoring and then us not cashing in on that one of the run to the one yard line to me is one of the turning points of the game. It didn't seem like at the time, but one, well, first of all, Dude, come on, score. <laughs> get that extra yard. You, you've got to get that extra yard for us. But it also, come on, guys. You cannot you cannot have Tilly's down there. Just just Brady Cook sneak it in if you have to. Yeah. Uh, because what we get that, let's get, we get that, and the game plays out the exact same way. It's a, am I, am I right? It's a, it'd be a tie ball game at the end of the game. Like, obviously, That's things true. would have changed. But that bit overtime, at the very least, we're going to overtime for a second week in a row. Come on, guys. Okay. One yard line. You can't not score that versus Georgia. Sorry, I'll, I'll stop talking now. <laughs> but what I what I want to add to that is I'm not trying to go back and harp and say the call drink made was wrong. Uh, but that is why I would like to have seen us finish the drive at the end of the game against Auburn instead of kneeling and kicking the field goal because, like I said last week, our offense leaves a lot to be desired on the short field. And so they need those reps. And I didn't think the high-pressure situation would be this last week, but it was right there, you know, the next week after that. And, boy, having them reps would sure been in, been nice to work some of those bugs out. And maybe we could have could have finished that drive for a touchdown this week. No, I agree. I argued that. I argued that. I argued you, you on that last week, but I, you, I've changed my mind. We, sh- we should have at least pushed it in or at least see what we could do because we needed that this week. And then getting into a little personal stats here, uh, Cole, I'll ask you since you were at the game and I just had to listen to Howard Richards mm-hmm. and Mike Kelly on the radio, but Brady Cook was 20 of 32, 192, one touchdown, zero interceptions. Yep. Uh, not a bad stat line, but I went into it a little bit deeper. He had pass completion at 36, 46, and 27. So those three completions were 109 of his 192 yards. So you take those three completions off, not taking anything away from him because he had to make those. But the rest of the ball game, he was 17 to 29 for 83 yards and 4.8 average. Uh, is it just the routes that we're calling? I or? think so. I think it's two things. Um, I think – the, the number one would be that, um, you know, we're, you know, so much of, of drinks playbook that we've seen so far has been, oh, you know, people complain about the dink and dunks and, oh, we're throwing the screens and, you know, end up going for two yards. And, you know, yeah, it, it may look great on the completion, but I, or, you know, on a, on a completion percentage. But I think that, um, you know, the schemes, the rollout, the, the 36 yarder to love it, um, where he was rolling out, 
and, you know, the corner and the linebacker are chasing him and they collapse down on him like he's going to go, you know, tuck it and run it for a two-yard gain. Well, he pulls up last minute and throws one over the top to love it, you know, for a first down. Um, so I think it's a combination of the offensive line is doing better to allow um, to him a, to have him a little more time, like on that completion of Mookie Cooper. Um, and I think as long as the line continues to play better, I think that we're going to see those downrange and those long-range throws, um, the chemistry kind of develop on those, as well as, um, you know, them just become a little more synchronized. Uh, you know, I guess kind of look at it from a standpoint of, you know, we're, well, we're kind of, you know, sort of starting over as far as uh, the season goes with, you know, the, the line playing a little bit better. And now, you know, he's having to work that chemistry. Yeah, we're, you know, going into game six. Um, so it, that, that would be my kind of perspective on it. Now, uh, I, I try to take things with a grain of salt. Ross playing Georgia, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, we took it to him for for four quarters and some ch- or three quarters and some change. Um, but you know, those dudes were fast. I mean, the jet sweeps weren't working. You look at um, Lovett's rushing uh, rushing stats: two carries for negative thirteen yards. That's because he couldn't even. I mean, Lovett's fast. He's a quick dude, but when uh, you got linebackers and, you know, corners and safeties and nickels or whatever the position they play when they're meeting you as you're rounding that corner, it's a, it's a damn good defense. So, you know, I guess kind of take that with a grain of salt. Would be, well, the would be radio my... broadcast did say uh, those are on both those runs. Uh, they both thought that love it probably should just put his foot down in the grass and try to go forward and get what he could get. But, he tried yeah. to run around, and he ended up costing some some yardage in that. Yeah, there I mean, was, you're going to uh, see you're going to see some of those Georgia guys playing on Sundays next year. I mean, it's plain and simple. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, so you got to you just got to kind of take that for what you will. I mean, look at Chris Abrams' drain. Chris Abrams' drain played pretty darn incredible. I'm going to try and pull up his stats here while I'm mentioning him. Um, but I mean, he he was all over some of the better. Um, you know, wide receivers and tight ends. And I mean, he just, he just played pretty darn well for, you know, being a guy that is already on some people's draft boards. Um, and so you kind of see that production out of him. We say penalties killed us, uh, probably cost us the game, but uh, my question or my personal opinion, if 17 and 14 don't get hurt and play a full game, we probably win that ball game. Yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing uh, two passes deflected um, for Chris Abrams' dream uh, against against Georgia. So it's a lot better than uh, him having, you know, however many yards, pulling a uh, – oh, what's the guy from the Cowboys? Diggs, you know, he's, a, he's kind of a boomer bust kind of guy where he's either making the play, getting the interception over the top. So I'm uh, – Who watches I'm, Cowboys? I do. I do, and I'll say that loud and proud. <laughs> Uh, looking at running backs numbers, Cody Schrader, six carries, 89 yards. He had the 63, uh, long, uh, so his other five carries for 26 yards. Uh, Pete was nine for 37. He had a long of 28. So you take that 28 away, his other yeah. eight carries, he only got nine yards. That's not, <laughs> that's, that's not I'm telling good. you, man, you look at the stat line, you cover up the score and you look at the stat line. You're like, holy smokes, man. 
Missouri just got absolutely, you know, kicked in the teeth or, you know, boat raced or whatever kind of analogy you want to throw at it. But <laughs> the it, it was a game to go to for sure. It just the, – Two the, turnovers is what oh yeah. kept us in the ball game and ahead for, for so long. Well, and kind of a segue into, you know, one thing we were talking about before we started recording is uh, our man Money Mevis. Money Mevis came back, redeemed himself, pulled, you know, you can throw the Dumb and Dumber clip in there of, you know, totally redeemed yourself. But uh, Kid had one hell of a game to, to come out and go five for five, um, in, including, there it yeah, is. exactly, there it is, uh, including a 56-yarder that's just. Yep. 41, 49, 22. Would have liked to seen that 22 last week. That's uh, 52 and 56. <laughs> uh, man, yeah, I'm just glad he got his mojo back for sure. But boy, I wish he had an extra one last week versus Auburn. No, Did you see that little strut walk of him? Heck uh, yeah. I believe it was after he was the 56. Himself, he was up there pimping it. it. I, think when they, I think when they made the call, uh, I'd, I'd like to go back and look at the film and see if my eyes were either deceiving me or if they were correct. But when they made the call to go out and kick a 56 yarder, I'm pretty sure he was the first one out there, you know, like for the kicking team to yeah. be just sprinting out there and get in position and, and be ready to rock. But he was, uh, he was feeling, I think once he hit that first one, what did you say his first one was 41 or something like that? Yes, 41. Um, I think when he hit that first 41 yarder, he was like, okay, you know, I got, I got my swagger back. Yeah. So who'd you say we're talking about again? Money Mevis. Hey. I'm pleased. I think uh, I think all Mizzou fans, you know, after the Auburn game, were just. I mean, we were just wallowing in our own tears. Um, of you know, didn't play bad, but man, it's just an absolute heartbreaker. And then thinking, oh man, you know, Eeyore mentality. We got oh, we got number one Georgia coming town night game prime time from the whole country. You know what I mean? It's just to to Not see me. us come back and respond. <laughs> The way we did come out, the way we did, um, I'm I'm proud of them for sure. They uh, they made me proud to be a tiger. You can ask Case. Even uh, we win the coin toss, and what did I text you, Case? <laughs> you said uh, we win the coin toss and win the game, right? That's it. <laughs> I was I was full of optimism. Just something about the feeling. Uh, I was trying to make every uh, correlation I could with. Mizzou games in the past and uh, defending national champion Hurricane, you know, hitting. So I, I threw the LSU in there, uh, GP in in the building, and uh, you know the other teams red number one. So I threw the number or the 2010 OU in in my head. Like I was finding every way possible. But like I said last week, uh, on paper we didn't stand a chance. Yeah, and hey, speaking of playing uh, on paper. Speaking of Gary Pinkle, I do want to say that um, big kudos to Mizzou for finally putting uh, Gary Pinkle in the ring of honor or, you know, whatever there. He's, his name's right there on the bricks, right below the student section. So it's good to see Gary Pinkle's name um, finally in, in the stadium. He did, uh, he did a ton for Mizzou. Even though um, you guys probably didn't see it, hopefully they didn't show it on TV. The misspelled. Yes, yeah, they misspelled Twitter. his name. On the jumbotron. That's pretty bad. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't hope for somebody to lose their job, but I hope the embarrassment alone was enough for them to uh, 
to not make that mistake. To again. learn how to spell the most winningest coach in program history's name. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say either him or uh, I don't know. I don't even think I, I mean, can. I think statistically, I know you can you can argue for O and uh, was better, but Divine, most yeah. moment in Divine, but most wins, most overall wins. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with this little conversation, we now one less listener. Uh, we appreciate you, Terry, for the time and the run. <laughs> oh, it was a good time. Terry. Hopefully we didn't lose you, Terry. <laughs> Someone's going to get that reference. Yeah, I, don't think he, <laughs> I don't think he hates Pinkle, but uh, he does think he's overrated. But, hey, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. So Speaking of Twitter, we, we put up a poll on Twitter. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Mizzou uh, underscore pod. Uh, just asked overall Phil after the Georgia game, what were the fans' thoughts? Uh, 29%, we had 42 votes, so it's still a small sample size, but 29% excited, 55% optimistic, but still cautious, 12% 50 50, like, man, we're excited, but we still lost the game. You know, the like you can find the good, but you can still find the bad. And then the 5%, Said they're never happy. Never happy. Hmm. I wonder <laughs> who that is. Yeah, that, definitely. The zoo fans fit that mold, huh? Yeah. The the quotes I I have some few a few quotes from uh, Drinkwitz uh, today and uh, Saturday night after the game, and then uh, Stetson Bennett, and Kirby Smart. So uh, Eli, you know, he said we ran the ball effectively, had some explosive plays down the field. Ultimately, had too many drives that came up empty as far as touchdowns in the red zone. At critical penalties and critical situations, we got to improve on third downs. Uh, he said there were a lot of – he thought there were a lot of good things in the game. Uh, he was asked about, a, you know, how did we get to a fast start, and it kind of – he kind of gave a, a cap looking at a new gate look on his face, and he's like, well, the defense came out and stopped him. <laughs> you know, so he didn't – I think it kind of threw him for uh, they were maybe implying offense got to a fast start and he didn't see it that way. Yeah. Uh, he did mention Dominic Lovett as a lower leg day to day, 50 50 shot at playing Saturday. Uh, Chris Abram Drain, 50 50 shot. Chad Bailey, he said it's probably more doubtful. He, he was going to practice today in a green jersey, which I think is the no contact, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And then uh, Stetson Bennett was asked outside the locker room in the tunnel. He was still in full gear on the interview I saw of him, uh, why he thought Georgia struggled. And not word for word, but he said in, in this league, referring to the SEC, there are a lot of great teams. Uh, and word for word, to finish that sentence, Missouri is one of the great ones. Thank you, Stetson Bennett. Thank you, Stetson. <laughs> I'll take that all day. No kidding. Uh, Kirby Smart, Saturday night after the game, he's, he said, you know, you got to give credit to Eli, to the team, to the atmosphere. He said they kicked our butts up front. And then uh, Monday on his weekly press conference, he's, he reiterated again, give Missouri a lot of credit. He said the biggest play of the night was the tackle on the one. Uh, yeah. And then he was asked, why he thought possibly Stetson uh, didn't play so good. And he said, possibly the atmosphere got to him. So shout out 
to the Tiger fans that were there. Including I'm telling you, you, man, it was it was electric. It did, it was the best uh, environment I've seen in quite a while. Well, the the rest of the SEC can check their high school stadium comments and stick it where the sun don't shine. As That's far as exactly I'm concerned, after right. last. Before we get off this topic, I want to mention uh, we had a bunch of recruits come out to that game. Yep. And I have seen, I know, lame adult to watch, you know, high school, could they say on Twitter, but they all seem atmosphere. I'm seeing kids from Tennessee where we were had a, we're hosting, seeing kids from Georgia, seeing kids from all over the country. And they were like, man, that was cool. Because, and I'm going to kind of play what Skier said there, our high school stadium quotes. Furrow Field is a beautiful stadium. I think it's classic college football. It's not these mega. Uh, baby NFL stadiums like Arkansas has or, you know, Jordan Hare and stuff like that. I think Faro looks like what you picture like a classic college campus stadium to look like with the amenities of the giant jumbo screen and the South end and the tiger deck, you know, and when that place is full, when you can barely make out the M on the Hill, I think it is one of the most picturesque scenes in college football. Yeah. And I think those, those kids saw that. And I think that helps recruiting. Uh, just kind of go over the SEC East standings. Georgia at the top, 2-0. Tennessee, 1-0. Kentucky, 1-1. One one. Uh, then after that, it's all winless. Vanderbilt, 0-1. Florida, 0-2. South Carolina, 0-2. Mizzou, 0-2. So, guys, we still have a chance. Not not saying for the East, but to, to not be at the bottom, uh, I mean, number three, still very realistic. We still have South Carolina, Florida, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Tennessee right there in front of us. And we gave Georgia all they wanted. So I'm I'm in the excited part of that that poll there. Got to start closing. That's going to be key. Got to close out these games. I think that's been an issue for uh, drinks teams. And I, and I think what that kind of leads to is – Drink's a pretty young coach, right? It's not like we hired some guy to been coaching years in the P in the G five level. He had one year as a head coach, and I think we need to realize that's that's what we signed up for when we hired him. Is he's still figuring us out himself? And I think one of the biggest factors with young coach teams is closing out, and we've seen that the last two weeks. But you know, eventually we're gonna, we're going to get that. Like that's something you're going to build on eventually. I didn't mean to kind of hijack that, but. uh I, th- I think that's something in the future that Drink will get better at. Just recapping the week, we you know we lost to Georgia, close one. We gave them all all they wanted. Uh, where it makes it easier on my end, uh, living where I live, I'm in the middle of Arkansas fans and OU fans, and I get to walk into work and all that uh, talking I had to hear, you know, after the K State game, it's piped down pretty darn quick, and so. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Saban. Makes makes losses a little bit easier to absorb for me. Uh, But we are an an outdoors pod. Uh, Cole, you want to tell everybody where you were last week while you were not on the pod? Uh, I was processing a deer, the second one of the week. Um, Uh, Back-to-back days, correct? Back-to-back, yeah, man. Uh, First time I'd ever done that. Um, I hunt here mostly um, in Boone County which is where Columbia is for those that uh, don't know. Um, and the surrounding counties, Howard, uh, Randolph, Callaway. Um, 
Cooper sometimes, but not very often. But anyhow, yeah. Um, Monday after work, um, got off work and was like, you know what? It's a uh, pretty perfect weather. So I'm going to go get in a tree. And I did. And I got there way too early. Um, I got off work at like 1230, 1245 and was set up in the tree by like 145. And I, <laughs> I was set up and I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing getting in the tree this early, man? Sunset's not till like 7.15. Legal shooting's like, so I'm, you know, getting ready to ride it out for like a six-hour sit. Um, and I, I made it a, a pack to myself, personal pack, that uh, I was going to shoot more does uh, early season. And uh, I did that. So Monday um, – had a pretty swirly wind uh, about four thirty, five o'clock, you know, just kind of on the front porch of, of the golden hour. Um, and had seen a couple does far off. So I knew that they were up and moving around and the acorns this time of year, they're just absolutely raining. Uh, although I guess, I didn't know if you guys knew this or not, but um, the acorn crop goes off of um the previous year's rainfall so last summer and spring we had a pretty wet summer and spring which i guess translated into this year having a pretty good acorn crop um so right now they are just absolutely raining the chica pins the white oaks pin oaks um are all dropping pretty good the stand i was in was up in between a chica pin and a white oak uh for those that don't know a chica pin oak is uh i guess of the white oak family but they are teeny tiny little acorns they're about the size of um maybe like your thumbnail and they're like really sweet um if you <laughs> call me crazy but i was like you know what i've heard this let me try one i didn't chew it up and swallow it but i you know cracked one open with my teeth and sure enough they are they got like a little sweetness to them um and then of course the white oaks we all know that white oaks early season are you know just about might as well call them a bait pile um, just because they're they're a huge magnet. So I'm set up in between them, uh, between some like thick uh, cedar bedding and um, a uh, another bur oak and pin oak ridge. And it was just in between those. And uh, sure enough, man, had a doe come walking down a logging road. And I was just absolutely lit up by the sun. I mean, I was facing west northwest, which is just bad on my part. I try to sit behind the tree to where um I can use that that shadow as a cover. Um she knew something was up as she was coming in and I just had to, you know, make sure that anytime I made a move it was as she was feeding or as she was walking. Um she got 22 yards slight quartering away and uh ranged her three times so just to make sure put the uh put the range finder in my chest rig drew back squeezed off a shot and she ran 15 yards and i watched her go down um so that was monday tuesday i was hunting with a buddy um and we went out to a property he ended up setting up over uh over some beans and i was because i knew that the oaks were raining so i was like you know what i might as well hunt what i know is working and so I did got back in another Oak sit had, Oh, I think I saw eight or nine deer that night. Um, the doe, I, what I thought was a doe was 
headed my way, pretty decent sized one. And I don't know if I've ever seen a spike with as small of antlers as the spike had, but uh, as he kind of turned away from me, you know, I'm watching through the binos just to make sure that what I'm targeting is going to be legal. Um, and as he turned away from me, I, uh, I saw some undercarriage that was not um, legal. <laughs> so I decided to, you know, pass on him. Uh, and then these two bucks, that spike, and then another little forky were eating with this doe. And something spooked the, uh, the spikes. My wind was good on that set. Um, and they had kind of bounded directly towards me. I'm talking like a yard or two up underneath my tree stand. I could have spit on him if I wanted to. Um, and of course the doe goes the other way. So I got two useless bucks, not useless, but non-legal bucks that I'm not going to shoot up underneath my tree stand. And the doe goes run the other way. Well, she ends up, you know, following them back down, um, to where they are. And she stops, uh, 19, 18, 19 yards away. So pretty close. And, uh, I had a, about a 12 to 14 inch gap in between two, uh, you know, semi-mature oak trees, about a big round as a cantaloupe and had a perfect little gap right there in between those two trees. And she was turning around trying to groom her back. And I'm like, girl, you know, I'm drawing back at this point. I'm like, girl, I need you to move your head or I'm going to pin your head to your body. I need you to move it. And, uh, she did let out, you know, squeezed off at the bottom of my breath. And, uh, she went 25 yards and piled up. So, while y'all were recording, I was dragging one out and uh, and getting it hung up to start the aging process. That's awesome. It's awesome, buddy. In case you have any hunting stories from the week recap, I know I know you got to go, but yeah, I didn't. Uh, really, for me, I went out to my Clinton County property. I sat for a little bit, so a lot like Cole said, uh, Friday, my my work day just happened to end early, and so I I rushed home. Um, got, I got lunch with my wife real quick. And then as soon as I did that, I was like, well, I was going to go to the farm. So I, I threw my camo on, went out to the farm and I got there about one forty-five, which is just way too early. But I was just, I was just so excited to get out for the first <laughs> time, you know? Yeah. Um, I sat out there all night uh, until sundown and I saw a couple dope, way too small for me to shoot and probably out of my distance, what I was comfortable with, uh, with the, the bow from there um and then i didn't get out for the rest of the weekend so i am hopefully gonna do a little more this weekend skater what you got i I went out saturday uh saturday evening just kind of scout around because i was going to go to a different section of the national forest public land and uh found a little clearing uh set up on it and started listening to the Mizzou game and I'm like, okay, I, I want to focus on the game and not be worried about trying to drag a deer and skin it and all, all that. So I was like, forget hunting. I, I got to go, you know, listen. Uh, so Sunday morning I get up and I go back to the, to the spot cause I felt it was pretty good. And, uh, about seven there's two squirrels making all kinds of racket chasing each other. And they're about 20 yards away and they're coming straight for me up and down trees, down through the leaves, and it's, you know, just, I'm here to deer hunt, and y'all are in my way. <laughs> uh, they get about five yards in front of me, and they're 
playing around. And I mean, they're little squirrels. So I'm watching them and forget about deer hunting for a little bit, just enjoying nature. And all of a sudden they look up uh, to my northeast and they kind of get quiet and they slowly, quietly go on a tree. And I'm like, well, there's coyote, bobcat, something. Uh, they didn't even start barking. So they didn't, they didn't want to be seen or heard. So I thought it was a, a predator coming, but uh, about 30 seconds after they got in the tree and got still, I hear the leaves are crackling coming straight for me. So I, I look back over my left shoulder and it's two doe, a uh, smaller one in the front, bigger one in the back. And I went in, took a shot on, on the smaller one uh, because I've not had luck with multiple deer out there getting a shot off. Uh, just too many eyes and ears. And I don't know if my breathing gets too heavy. My heart rate gets too high. <laughs> and I, I lose focus. So uh, I was okay with taking the smaller one. I, I mean, she was, she was an average size doe for here, probably 80 to a hundred pounds somewhere in there. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, but I shot her about eight inches behind front shoulder and uh the arrow turned uh i don't know if it hit shoulder blade or or what i I did not hit vitals but it it made its way through the front side ribs she was broadside about 12 yards and then it turned and went down and out between her uh hind legs kind of through her stomach area Uh, did not did not get the stomach uh but it was a three and a half hour tracking job. Uh, she gave me a run for my money. Uh, there were many times if somebody walked out there, they probably thought I was a druggie because I was on my hands and knees, <laughs> uh, literally looking at specks no bigger than a fine point pen leaving on the ground for blood. Uh, she crossed a dried creek bed uh, on dark rocks. The blood did, was not showing up in that real easy uh also the sun was coming up and she was running toward the sun so i was having to look with the sunlight in my face and makes it harder uh then she got in some some pine and i've never tracked deer uh blood a blood trail through pine and i learned that is about as hard as hard gets on the blood trail uh well yeah you and i were you and i were talking about it how you know it's that's it's not a broad leaf so it's not going to hold any kind of any kind of uh you know water droplet blood molecule it doesn't matter it's not gonna it's not gonna hold it it's just gonna absorb down into the soil what i end up having to do was just walk circles i mean there were many times just inside me like i was just frustrated mad at myself uh you know questioning the the shot placement I, i put on her uh, the furthest I've ever had a track before was 30 yards. Uh, so I, I was really getting frustrated, but I'm very stubborn. And so I wasn't going to give up. Don't like the idea of just wasting meat sitting out there. And so I just started circling, you know, I'd lose the trail and then I'd walk back up to the last place I saw it and I'd, I'd find another spot. Like, how did I not see that 10 minutes ago? I was on my hands and knees looking. I was right there by it, but, Ended up finding her and, uh, you know, gutted her out there and, and brought her home, washed her out with the water hose. 
because I had to drag her about a mile back through my truck through the woods. <laughs> by the time by the time I got back to my truck, I took my backpack off. The backpack was wet from sweat through <laughs> uh, hoodie and then shirt. Oh, what's the what's uh, the weather like down there, Ski? What, what was it like there? Uh, s- Sunday. It was probably mid seventies by the time I, I got her. Maybe maybe pushing eighty. It's not terrible, uh, I guess. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of work. <laughs> I was. I was really thankful that this happened Sunday. Uh, maybe it was just good Lord looking out for me, not leaving me for rushing home and watching the disappointment of sixty-one. 61 yard pickle off the uprights for the that's Saints. What, that's what the good Lord was doing. He was preventing you from watching them Saints. Yeah. So uh, I wasn't too mad when I got home, saw the football score. I was like, well, okay, this, yeah, as bad as that sucked, uh, that's still better than sitting home watching that. Right. But uh, I looked up just kind of seeing, you know, Missouri hunting news. And as, as good as our three does were last week, it is not touch. But two Missouri friends, uh, Josh Huser and Dalton Barnes, uh, four days apart, they're, they're lifelong childhood friends, but approximately 475 inches of horns on their two bucks combined. Uh, we may have a new Missouri state record for non-typical. Yeah. The current current record is 269 seven-eighths inch by Randy Simonich. In Pike County in 2000, uh, Josh Huser's uh, buck, he's been watching for five years. He named Louie. Uh, a lot of people are, are guessing 280 plus. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. That's incredible. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're a Missouri bow hunter, if you're just a Missouri hunter in general, and you're you're not a bow hunter, I highly recommend getting out there with the bow. Most of my luck seeing bucks and seeing deer movement is before the guns get in the woods, uh, yep. before oh, rut kicks in. Uh, you can really pattern them out with feeding, bedding, uh, water. Uh, a big thing that helped me this weekend, I don't know about y'all, but the the moon was maybe quarter, uh, so not a lot of nocturnal movement. You know, you, yeah. you get the full moons and clear skies and it's pretty bright and they, they get pretty nocturnal when that moon's full like that. Yeah. Uh, but I've also found that during those, during those full moon periods where, you know, you're looking at trail cam data or, you know, the, the moon's so bright and the sky's so clear that you can just about drive around without any headlights. Yeah. Um, and I've seen this, you know, leaving work late at night that, you know, yeah, there's a lot of deer out during the day, but then on the contrary, you know, you can get out there in the woods and, you know, to, most times when hunters get out of the morning and nine, 10 o'clock rolls around and their belly starts talking to them and they're like, man, I'm kind of hungry. I'm get go down and get some breakfast. Um, those deer get up, you know, 11, 12, one o'clock. Yep, middle of the day. Get up middle of the day and just start eating and then go back to bed. Um, yep. It was a, uh, it was a rifle, a rifle harvest for me, but I took a buck in 2020 and that's exactly how it played out. It was full yeah. moon. I didn't, I just had my daughter, so I was, you know, helping out in the house, you know, doing my thing, dad thing. And then I just said to my wife, hey, I'm going to go out there and sit for a little bit. And it was about, it was probably, it was 1130. And I was just sitting there and they were just making their rounds to the woods and I shot a buck out there. So I totally agree. 
it's, yeah. it, they get out more middle of the day when it's like that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to work on trying to reach out to Josh and Dalton. Uh, if we get hold of them and get them to come on and, and talk about uh, their brutes of Missouri Bucks that they've already got on the 2020 season, uh, man, I'm jealous. Yeah, that uh, oh my gosh, might be, right? it might be kind of hard to get a. I mean, you might be talking to a PR person or something like that. If they kill a buck is two eighty, then they might be pretty tough to get hold of. Yep, I imagine every big podcast or every hunting show <laughs> in the country is going to want to have them on right now. No kid, no kid. But congratulations to them guys. Uh, you can't kill it sitting at home, so hit the woods. Try, uh, even a bad day of hunting. Uh, pizza a lot of days in the recliner in my opinion yeah <laughs> that's right well guys uh, we're, we're gonna break this up into two segments try to try to shorten our podcast up we'll give you two episodes so uh unless you guys have anything else in the recap it's actually went longer than what i thought it would be but uh we're gonna end this episode to get it out uh as early in the week as we possibly can and then Later in the week, we'll be dropping the second part previewing uh, Florida Gators coming up Saturday. Also preview uh, cold fronts coming in, uh, talk some hunting, and also we'll have our This Week in Mizzou history segment. Sounds good to me. Sounds good. All right. Well, for Skeeter, uh, Case, and Cole, uh, we enjoyed it. Go Tigers, M-I-Z. The OU. Go Tigers.